Welcome to the Compass Podcast, featuring Chris Shandro and the Compass team. We hope this message is just for you. It is resolution time of year, though. This is the time where we all think about like the things that we want to change this year uh, to be better or different than they were last year. And I don't know if you're like me. You probably are. Most of my resolutions uh, are rooted in something that I regret or something that I screwed up or wish I would have done better, right? So I was bad at this, and therefore I want to change it and do better in the new year. And so maybe some of your New Year's resolutions are based in some things that you regret. Let me share with you... Uh, something that I did that I regret, and like I know when I talk about regrets, we can all have things that pop to mind or things that we wish we had never done, and I'm going to share with you one of mine, okay? This is a vulnerable moment for me, but I want, you to, I want to bring you in, okay? Come in, come in with me. Let's do this thing. So I was at church uh, several years ago, and there was a girl who used to be in our youth group when Terry and I were youth pastors. We hadn't seen her in a little bit, and she showed up on a Sunday, and it was just really great seeing her and reconnecting with her, and so we were chatting in the lobby, and she had a coffee and a donut in her hand, and we were just talking, and I noticed as I was talking to her that she had a donut crumb right on her lip. I felt like I had a good enough relationship with this girl that, you know, I could, I could address this, and so, and again, just as I say this, this is a huge regret. So as she's talking, I, I don't know what happened. My hand just reached out towards her face like it had a mind of its own, and I went like this <laughs> to the donut crumb that was on her lip. Now, right there, like he'd be like, Chris, just don't touch someone else's face. Okay, I understand why you regret that. You don't understand why you regret this because the donut crumb did not fall off her face because it was not a donut crumb. It was a mole right on her lip. <laughs> And so I was like, oh, you got a donut crumb on your face. And I went, Bink! And it, I swear, like in slow motion, it was like, bong, 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 bong. <laughs> like it was mocking me. And, and I immediately like, oh, I got it. Yeah, it's good. Uh. And I changed the subject as quickly as I possibly could. And so here's the thing. I deeply regret that. And I want you to know every single time that I'm talking to you in the lobby of our church, I remember that story. And while I'm talking to you, Know this, all I'm thinking is, don't touch their face. Don't touch their face. Just don't touch anyone's face. That is like a thing for me. A lot of the things that we want to change in our lives are based on things that we regret, mistakes that we have made. And some of those things maybe are just small. Maybe it's not even really categorized as a mistake, right? Maybe those regrets are something as simple as, you know, I really, I, I didn't eat as good as I wanted to last year, and so I'm going to resolve to eat better this year. Okay, I regret that, I'm going to do better. Uh, I regret that I didn't spend enough time with my kids last year, I'm going to resolve to change that. I regret that I didn't exercise as much as I wanted to this year, I'm going to resolve to change that. And so a lot of times these smaller regrets, we can address those really easily with New Year's resolutions and just making changes. But what happens when your regret is a little bit bigger than that? Like, there's, there's not really a way to make a resolution to make my marriage better when my marriage is already dead. And I, I don't know how to make a resolution to, like, fix my finances when I've already had to file bankruptcy. I mean, how, how do you make a resolution to fix that regret, to fix that thing? It's just too big to fix. I mean, how do I make a resolution, you know, to be a better person when, like, some of the stuff that I've done... It's just absolutely unforgivable. 
And like, how, how do I make a resolution to just be a better person when there's things that I've done that if anybody knew about, if anybody found out about, that like my life would just be over? How do I just resolve to be better when my regrets are so huge? And whether they're big or small, um, I think that many of us make decisions every day based on our regrets. I think we make decisions on, and choices based on our past and based on things that we have done that we regret or that we wish that we had never done. Now, you may not realize this, but the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he had a ton of regret. Now, if you're a church person, you've heard of the Apostle Paul, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus or a Bible person and you're joining us today, you're going to hear... a the Apostle Paul's story. And I'll just tell you this right now, if you don't like Christians, you're gonna love Paul because Paul straight up hated Christians, okay? He was not down with them at all. And so check this out. The Apostle Paul, he was a guy who, after he became a follower of Jesus, he started much of the church uh, in the ancient world. He traveled around into different nations, planting churches, um, teaching people how to follow Jesus. And he, he, really, he wrote most of the New Testament. He is in a lot of ways almost single-handedly responsible for the growth of the church in the first century. But Paul didn't start out that way. In fact, Paul describes himself very differently than the, you know, the churchy apostle Paul that many of us are familiar with. And, uh, and it points to some of the regrets that he had. And I want to share some of those in his own words, okay? So these are words that Paul wrote about his own life that we can find in different letters that he wrote that are found in the New Testament. And this is what he said. Paul describes himself saying this, I was circumcised when I was eight days old, which was like a Jewish thing. It's not like, that's a thing that happened, it's awesome. No, that was part of the Jewish faith. He says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. So right out of the gate, he's like, when it comes to being religious, when it comes to following religious rules and religious law, I was the man, okay? Nobody was gonna beat me when it comes to being super strictly religious. He was that guy. And then he says this, I was so zealous. So zealous is like this passion for your faith, this passion for your religion that almost borders on fanaticism. He says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without a fault. So Paul, as, an, as a first century Jewish zealot, a, a guy who is super religious in the Jewish faith, Christianity kind of popped up as a sect of Judaism, and many of the religious Jews, I mean all the religious Jews, thought that Christianity was a cult. And, and they believed this. They believed that Christianity was, was a perversion of the Jewish faith. They thought it was blaspheming the Lord. And so many first century Jews just didn't want anything to do with Christianity. And some, who were like the Apostle Paul, were so zealous for their faith that in his own words, he harshly persecuted Christians and harshly persecuted the church. Again, in his own words, let's see how he describes it. He says, I used to believe that I ought to do everything I could to oppose the very name of Jesus the Nazarene. I, I believe that with every breath I had, that I should oppose Jesus, that I should oppose Christianity and everything it stood for. Indeed, I did just that in Jerusalem. Authorized by the leading priests, I caused many believers there to be sent to prison. I cast my vote against them when they were condemned to death. And many times, I had them punished in the synagogues to get them to curse Jesus. I was so violently, and that, that word that he uses there is intentional. I was so violently opposed to them that I even chased them down in foreign cities. 
So, I mean, Paul is, Paul's pretty straightforward in this. That there are Christians, followers of Jesus, who were put to death, and that he was, he was a vote for yes. Should we kill this person for following Jesus? Count me in, yeah. He says that he, he punished followers of Jesus inside the Jewish synagogues. He would drag them into Jewish synagogues, and the punishment that he's talking about that they did, it was basically they whipped them. And they would whip them up to 40 times on their back, and, and blood and, and wounds would be all over their backs. And he says in his own words, he whipped people, he tortured them and, and punished them to try and get them to curse Jesus. That's what he did. He had, he had families broken up and people put in prison for following Jesus. They lost their freedom. They lost their homes. People who lost everything because of of who Paul was in his own words. Now check this out. This is how other people um, account or recount the story of Paul in their own words. In Acts chapter 8, uh, the writer of Acts says that Saul was going everywhere. Saul was his name. It changed to Paul. Um, Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison, which is like the worst door-to-door salesman in the world, okay? Going house to house, throwing people in prison for following Jesus. Acts chapter 9 says this, that Saul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Eager, okay? Not just, you know what, he felt like Christianity was a bad thing, and he begrudgingly said, if putting this person to death is the only thing we can do, we can do it. No, he was eager. He wanted to kill Christians. It says this, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now, we've talked about this before, but I think it's important to point out that both Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9, the writer of Acts, it says both men and women. Because in Jewish culture, men were everything. Women did not have a prominent role in Jewish culture and society. They weren't terribly important. And so for, for, for these Jewish religious leaders to arrest and imprison and, in torture, and torture women, to, to say, your value in our culture is not that important, but in this... Look out. That was a big deal. And then there was a man named Ananias who, was, who, when Paul became a follower of Jesus, was the first person who God asked to invite him into his home. Ananias was like, when God asked him to do this, Ananias was like, what? And this is what he says. He says, but Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. He's like, you're asking me to do what? In another translation uh, that's actually probably closer to the original Greek that this is written in, it doesn't use the word terrible. It translates to the word evil. The Ananias was like, Lord, this guy's doing evil things. And if you were in the first century and you were a follower of Jesus, that's who Paul was. He was an evil, violent guy who tortured arrested and imprisoned followers of Jesus. He broke up families. He took property all because he hated Christianity. And Paul, when he became a follower of Jesus, all of those things that he had done, they were in his back catalog, right? They still existed. His legacy had been written. He couldn't erase those things. In fact, think about this. Paul became a a leader in the church. Like how many people do you think Paul saw in his life after he became a follower of Jesus who might have been people who he had tortured? How many people do you think he might have bumped into and made accidental eye contact with that was someone who lost a parent or a loved one because of Paul's actions in persecuting the church? And like, do you think, you think bumping into an old boyfriend or girlfriend is bad? Like, Paul might have seen someone who he straight up tortured in a synagogue at one point. Paul had regrets. And Paul's regrets limited him. I mean, check this out. 
when, when Paul became a follower of Jesus, the Lord revealed to him, basically said, Paul, I'm going to use you. I've got a purpose for your life. I'm going to use you to tell people about me. And, and look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 22. This is him telling his story, right, in his own words again. But Lord, I argued, they certainly know, these Christians who you're asking me to be involved in their lives, you're asking me to be part of their churches, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And he's like, and, and I was in complete agreement when your witness, Stephen, was killed. Stephen was the first follower of Jesus who was murdered for his faith. Paul's like, I was down with that. I was like, that's, yeah, I was in agreement with that. And then he says this, I stood by and I kept the coats they took off when they stoned them. I held their coats so they could murder the dude. Paul's like, listen, he's like, Lord, I know you're, you're saying you want to use me or you have a plan for my life, but, but like, God, it's impossible because of my past. Things I've done, they... They disqualify me from, from anything, anything that you might have for me in the future. I regret those things so much, and I just have to live with the fact that my life will never be what it could have been because of the things that I did in my past. And you might be here today, you, you might know what that feels like. Have you ever felt that, that, like, that because of your past that you are disqualified in some way from certain good things uh, that might be in your future? You know, I'm... I'm disqualified from a good and a loving marriage like my parents had or like my friends have because of the mistakes and the things that I did in this previous relationship or previous relationships. I'm disqualified from having the relationship I wish I could have with my children as they grow up because I just, I made mistakes and I damaged and I broke that, that relationship with them and because of that, I just, I'm, I can't have it. I'm disqualified. My future, it cannot be good with my kids. I can't have a role, you know, like, like I would like in the church. You know, I'm a follower of Jesus, Chris, and I've said yes to Jesus, but like, because of my past, I'm like a back row follower of Jesus. Like, I can't really have any role in all of this because you don't know what, I, what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know those things. And like, honestly, like, there's people who like, I got friends who are still out there. And if they hop on Facebook and they see me doing stuff in the church, they'll call me out and it'll be, bring a bad name to you and the compass. And I just, like, I'm disqualified from living the life that other people get to live because of my past. Some of you may even feel like this. Maybe this isn't even articulated in your mind, but deep down you feel like you're disqualified from God's love. They're like, yeah, maybe God has a place for me in his church and that maybe, you know, maybe there's a place for me to be involved and stuff like that. But like at the end of the day, like you can stand up and lift your hands and worship God and know that he loves you. And, but like I screwed things up bad. And so God might accept me, but I just can't really accept the fact that God could totally love me. And Paul felt all of that. Paul felt every bit of that. The sting of regret and, and the feeling that he's been forever marked, and that the things he regretted were limiting his future, the potential that he might have had for himself. And look, look, at his own, look at what Paul says in his own words in 1 Corinthians 15. This is how Paul describes himself. And this is after Paul's been planning churches, he's been successful in all this, and he says, I'm the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way that I persecuted God's church. 
This is not humility, right? This is not like, you know what? I, I'm not a great leader. You know, I just, I'm just a humble servant. That's all I am. That's not what this is. This is straight up Paul saying, these, these other guys who are doing the same thing I'm doing, like, I, it might look like I'm more successful than them. I might be starting more churches or, you know, reaching more people with the gospel. But, like, the truth is, is that I can never be at their level because of the things that I used to do to the church and the things that I used to do to Christians. I just, I will never be like them. I can never be like them. I'm disqualified. I'm, I'm cut off. And I'm good with it. This is, I'm content with the fact that this is where my life is going to be and I'm just gonna muscle through trying to carry my past regrets and shame and pain and hurt. Because you see, what I've done in the life that I've lived in my past, I'm not worthy of the future that other people deserve. Because of the things that you know, I've done or even the things that, I've been done to, that have been done to me, the things I regret, because of those things, the course of my life has been irrevocably changed and and now it, it will never be what it could have been. So if that's you, if you've ever said those things to yourself, if you know those feelings, I want you to know this. They're like, Paul knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly those feelings. He felt them himself. And, and honestly, like, this is where your story might have ended, like this is my, where this could literally just be where you are in your life. You've just made the decision that it's just not going to get better and that your choices have determined that your future will not be as great as it could have been and you're comfortable with that. And if that's you, you may think that perhaps your story has ended um, and that your past decisions have have now cut off or determined your future hopes and dreams. But I want you to know this, is that Paul figured something out Paul figured something out that, he, that God wants you to understand too about your past, about the things that you regret and about how they can impact your future. Paul discovered something that God wants you to know as well. And this is how Paul describes it in Philippians chapter three. He starts off by saying, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. So he's coming right out of the gate saying this. He's like saying, I'm not perfect, okay? So like, I'm not saying this stuff to toot my own horn or to like any of that stuff. Like, I want you to know that like those regrets, that's real. I still feel that. I, I'm not perfect, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I haven't achieved it, but I focus on this one Thing. And this is the thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and, and pressing forward, looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And in this passage, in this like paragraph, Paul lays out what I think is maybe the cure for regret, maybe the antidote for regret, or maybe just the freedom and release from the chains of guilt and shame and regret that we carry with us. And he says this, check this out. He says this, the first thing that he focuses on, the one thing is forgetting the past. If you wanna deal with your regret and if you wanna walk in freedom, it starts with forgetting the past, your regret your pain, your hurt, your shame. Maybe what you did, maybe what others have done to you, but it starts by, by separating yourself 
from the past and understanding that there can be a break, that you can push that aside and that you can move ahead. Now, I want you to know this, like if I stopped right there, like none of this would work, okay? This would just be like, you know, some psychotherapy type stuff. Like I think if you struggle with regret, you've tried to forget your past over and over and over again and you know that it just doesn't work. But that's why there's another thing that Paul says in here. He says first, he says, forget your past. It starts there. And that's something we do. But then he says there's something else that's not dependent on what we do or what we can do, but it's dependent on Jesus. He says you need to forget your past and then remember the future. Paul says, he's like, my past, the things that I've done, I can put those behind me, but I can only put those behind me because of this reality, because I believe in the God who has a plan and a purpose for my life, and I believe in a Savior who has set me free and forgiven me of all of those things and allowed me to walk forward in the plans and the purposes that he has for my life, and if you want to walk a life of freedom... If you want to walk in a life of hope, if you want to break the chains that you feel have been dragging you down and holding you back for years and years and years because you just cannot let go of the things that have hurt you and the things that you regret, then you need to do this. You need to forget the past and you need to remember the future. Let me talk about that future for a second. This is what, this is what that future is. Jeremiah 29, 11. This is God speaking to you. For I know the plans I have for you says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. You may think your regrets have taken you off the path, have taken you off the road and there's no way back, but God looks at you and he says this, I got other plans. And I see them and I know them and it's to give you a future and a hope more than you could have ever hoped and dreamed. I know this because 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this, and this is the Apostle Paul writing. This is his words. No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no mind can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. The very same man whose regrets almost kept him from stepping out in the faith to follow God in the way he wanted to, who felt like his future was completely cut off, that he had no potential, says this. In my experience, you gotta know, no one can imagine what God has planned for us. And then Paul puts it another way that I think is probably the most straightforward. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says that this, all of this, what Jesus wants to do in your life, it means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Your old life, the one you lived, the one you broke, the one you screwed up, it's gone forget the past and a new life in Christ has begun remember your future in him that God has a plan a purpose for your life for good not for harm that you couldn't even imagine how great and wonderful it is that you are a new creation the moment you say yes to Jesus I want you to imagine like this is an experiment when we drive home today okay when you drive home I want you to do this I want you to get in the car I want you to get on the road and I want you to drive all the way home but I want you to navigate that way exclusively by looking in your rearview mirror, okay? Yeah, anybody up for trying that? No, and like, parents of teenagers are like, shh, shh, you didn't hear that. Why, because it would be, it's so stupid. If you tried to drive home by only looking in your rearview mirror, you would end up in a ditch and your car would be wrecked. It's so stupid. But how many of us are living our lives that way? 
We're trying to move forward in life and all we look at is the rear view mirror to see what has come, what's come behind us, the things we've done, the places that we've been. And the tragedy of that is that when you navigate your life looking in your rear view mirror is that you cannot follow the person who's ahead of you trying to lead you to the best future that you have. You cannot follow Jesus to a future that is good and full of hope if you are looking in the rearview mirror because you, all you can see is your past. And God's inviting you to a new relationship with him where your future is predetermined by him and that it is wonderful and amazing and you can put your hope and your trust in that. And he's asking you to put his cross before you and your past behind you. Let those things live in your rear view, but focus on what's in front of you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it does not include carrying the baggage of your past. It does not include carrying the baggage of your shame. It does not include carrying the baggage of your guilt. You can be free of those things and walk in the life that God has for you when you forget your past. And then more importantly, remember your future by trusting in Jesus and putting your hope and your faith in Him and allowing Him to carry you. You are not disqualified from the best life you could ever live. You are not unworthy of the best life that you could ever live because God has laid it out for you today. Now, will you stand with me and can we sing this out as a commitment to God? Thank you for joining us at Compass. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you have any questions about Compass or this message, contact us at our website, www.compassbn.com.